Welcome to the broadcast, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. It is Monday night, and it is 9 p.m. Central, so that means it's time for Corbett Report Radio with your yours truly, your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. So thank you all for joining me for the broadcast this evening, and we have quite a broadcast lined up for you, as always, a very interesting guest. And perhaps some of you will have heard of this guest before, perhaps not. If, if it's your first time, you're in for a treat. We're going to be talking to Nikki Rapana, who is a blogger and also the author of a book called The Anti-Communitarian Manifesto. So we're going to be talking about communitarianism and the agenda behind it, and it promises to be an interesting conversation. So without further ado, let's bring Nikki into the conversation. Uh, Nikki Rapana, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Again, thanks for having me, James. All right. Well, it's great to have you here, but it is your first time on the Corbett Report. So as is our want here in the uh, opening minutes, why don't we get you to just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you come from, and how you got into all of this. Okay. Um, I first found out about the plan in the spring of 1999 when the city of Seattle was uh, in the process of um, publishing the 38, it ended up being 39 neighborhood plans for each separate neighborhood in Seattle. I lived in the Roosevelt neighborhood, which is just north of the U District on Northeast 65th Street, a very busy area, and right in front of Roosevelt High School. And um, through a series of events, when they started the uh, new enforcement procedures that had been included in the plan, my house and my neighbor's houses were part of this new test of the enforcement um, so I started helping my landlord. I got involved on the grassroots level for about three years. I wasn't really online. I only went online to find things about these departments and these programs and these new policies and the regulations and the bills and the acts. And, oh, my goodness, you know, it was a lot of um, very intense study just of how municipal government works, how county government works, how state government works. It, it felt like just a <clears throat> massive, you know, um, very quick study in some things that I never thought I'd be interested in ever. And in, it took about a year before I found the philosophy, which is communitarianism, and I've been writing about that ever since. And I started putting it online in 2002. So um, my blog ended up being the one thing that I could keep up with regularly, but we did have a research website for years, too, and uh, some other things that we've tried um not much of a marketer. I just tried to give the information away for a really long time, so that's kind of um, where we've stayed, you know. But now we're a book company, and um, we have to look at it differently. So how's that? Well, well, let's tell people. Well, that's great. Well, let's tell people how they can uh, access that blog and, and your other work and your book and all of that. Uh, the ACL Books is uh, Nord N O R D dot TWU, which stands for The Web Union, but it's TWU.net. Um, and from there, you can get to the ACL page. It's my daughter's um, domain. She's had it since she was a, a preteen, I think. She's had it for a really long time. And she's the web developer and has been um, – it wouldn't be in line and it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for my co-founder of the league, Nordica Frederick. That's my daughter, too. She's 27 now, and she was about 13 when I first started um, trying to figure out the plan. Well, you've certainly done quite a bit of work on that, and uh, as I understand, your blog spot is nikkirapana.blogspot.com? 
Yes, it's called Living Outside the Dialectic, um, Seeking a Path, Not Included in the Plan. I want out. My very first thing I ever did was say, I want the opt-out. I, You don't have my permission to put me in this plan. And, uh, you know, it's silly, I know, well, but... It, you know indeed, I, I think that's a message that will resonate with many listeners out there. So on that note, let's take a short breather, but we'll be right back at, talking with Nikki Rapana right after these messages. As sure as I am the present, President Jimmy Carter. Welcome back to the program, friends. James Corbett here from CorbettReport.com. And tonight we are talking to Nikki Rapana, a, uh, the author of the Anti-Communitarian Manifesto and the keeper of the blog at NikkiRapana.blogspot.com about communitarianism generally and what people can do about it. But, uh, Nikki, let's, let's start this conversation at the most logical place because I imagine not everybody is necessarily on the same page. So why don't we start explaining precisely what is communitarianism? What is this philosophy and where did it come from? Well, there's, um, uh, a lot of different ways that I've tried to explain what the word is. And I think the one that I, it, it has to be understood primarily is that it's a final resolution or a solution to all conflicts between ideologies, religions, systems. Um, it includes a little bit of every uh, economic theory, every um, political theory, all the social evolutionary theory. It's a it's a giant um, idea. It's called the big idea. Okay. For the solution to all the um, different ways of looking at the world, I guess, that cause um, problems. So it's not easy to explain unless you start breaking it down into its particular um, syntheses, like capitalism versus communism after a series of uh, fighting between those two theories, very extreme left and extreme right, they finally reached what they call the perfect middle or the radical middle. And communitarianism is the resulting stage of Marxist uh, Hegelian dialectical uh, movement of people. They, they decided that rather than write history, create history. And to make history happen, they set up a lot of different ways to make people fight. And actually, they promote violence as the best way of moving this idea forward, but they have all other ways of doing it. So what we're living in is the, the final synthesis in the Hegelian dialectic, which is what the anti-communitarian manifesto is all about. Part one is, what is a Hegelian dialectic? Because there was so much of the Hegelian um, thinking in what we were reading we needed to write a tutorial for ourselves and actually it started out being for my dad back in 2001, just trying to understand how the formula works because we, we're part of a process. We're in an evolutionary social process that they determined had to happen right around, um, it's been a couple hundred years at least in the, in the final phase. Um, and it goes back. It's ancient. I haven't taken it as far back as I could because I don't read anything besides English, so I'm limited, you know, in what I can look at. But for us in America, I think the key thing is that it's the merger between the left and the right, 
it's the uh, the worst side of communism and the worst side of capitalism and fascism and all of the other um, ways that capitalism has been used, you know, because each side, communism, there is no pure communism. There's a lot of different variations, and they've all been fighting each other. And they finally came to the point where now um, they have a new theory, a new system of law that uh, can appeal to everyone and then appeal to no one in particular. So... Absolutely. Well, let's step back and flesh that out a little bit for (laughs) those who who don't know about Hegel, because uh, I think that's an extremely important part of this whole process. So this was a late 18th century German thinker who had an idea about the way that history progresses, and he really did see it as a type of progress, but I think that's open to dispute to say uh, mildly. But let's talk a little bit about his idea and specifically what he was talking about. Well, the um, the interesting thing about Hegel is that I was contacted by the Frankfurt School a couple of years after we published our thesis, and they assured me that there was only maybe 20 people in the entire world who could understand Hegel because um, they're not native German readers, and that Amitai Etzioni wasn't one of them. Now, Etzioni is the founder of the Communitarian Network in America, and He's the one who's written the most books. He's the one that I target the most in my opposition. But there's a lot of other varied communitarian thinkers out there. And then the Hegel experts, of course, they think I'm a big joke, you know, because I say that Hegel's purpose was just to confuse us. And um, so, you know, reading Hegel isn't necessary to understand where Hegel was going with his theory and how it was interpreted by Hitler Marks, you know, because it came out right about the time the War of 1812 was another, it's kind of a key piece in history that I haven't had a time to look into, you know. But there was a lot happening when the United States declared their independence from the empire. And it was actually a very popular idea back then. So what I think, I mean, my daughter and I came to the conclusion based on what we were finding And we used encyclopedias, we used government websites, we used the most credible sources that we could to figure out what was going on here. And what we saw, the pattern that we saw, was all continual dialectical conflicts that were being set up. And then when you you fight through the conflict and then the resolution moves you up to the next level of conflict. So we've just sort of been led socially engineered into fighting these conflicts that lead to the communitarian finale, which is global governance under one system of law, one religion, and, um, you know, we, we see pieces of it in their social equity theories, what's happening at Rio Plus 20. You know, you can, if you, you look out there, you can see that we're being pushed towards change and we're all being told that we have to change our behaviors. It's our behaviors that are changing the world for a bad bad place, you know? So certain lifestyles have been attacked, um, particularly ones that have any American ideology left at all, okay? Any independent thinking, any entrepreneurial business people um, are all being targeted in these programs. And the reason is is because in a communitarian system, there's your central planning based on China, the Soviets, and all the rest of the uh, communist bloc that you cannot allow independent thinking to... It doesn't work in these collectives that they're building. So communitarianism is just the the beautiful front that they're putting on a global system that just incorporates the worst 
of uh, central planning that we've ever even imagined. You know, and it's mixed in with a lot of new technology. So the the records in your papers, please, doesn't mean the same thing as it did in the 40s and the 50s. You know, that and I got involved really from that part of it because of the database that they were building in Seattle of all of the residents in Seattle, I thought included information that was none of the government's business. Indeed, just one of the, the very many worrying signs of, of centralization of power and control that's taking place in our society generally these days. But let, let's uh, focus specifically on, on the idea of communitarianism itself, which is, as I say, it's not something that's on the tip of very many people's tongues. Not a lot of people identify this, this philosophy or ideology in the same way that they'll identify, for example, socialist uh, policies or communist or fascist. Those are the types of um, uh, political labels that people throw out. So I think people might be uh, at a loss when it comes to com- communitarianism simply because they don't have a word for it. But let's uh, let's look at some of the words that they use to cloak themselves in that have become fashionable, like sustainable development and social capital and things like this. They they sound so warm and fuzzy, don't they? Well, yes, and, I, and even communitarianism sounds warm and fuzzy to people when they hear it, uh, unless they have you know a, a little bit of more of a a background in, in they read any of Marx writings or any of the Marxist writings. You know, if you go, I learned most everything about this theory from the Marxists, Marxist.org. You want to know what anybody said during that time. And they always leave out the American thinkers like Friedrich List and, um, you know, they're the bad guys, Hamilton and all of the protectionists and the, the tariff people, they were the bad guys. And so we had to go back and try and figure out, I didn't even really understand what any of that was or the assaults on the American system and how early they started. And because they couldn't beat us, this is my theory, okay, they couldn't beat us in two wars, so they came at us the back way. And it's it's an ideological attack on our system of freedom, which was for the common person, you know. I always, you know, because it's not about the common good, it's about the common man to me. Um, And with communitarianism, those theories, the, the American system is gone from the history books. I mean, they're rewriting our history and saying that we were built as a communitarian country. The way the word communitarianism is being introduced right now is as if it has always been part of our language. And yet it hasn't. Most people have never heard of it. I've been accused a hundred times or more that I made this word up and that I need to start speaking in terms that people understand. And why won't I call it socialism? And why don't I call it communism? And I'm saying, because it's not. The law itself is called communitarian supremacy of law. It's the European Union law. It's the law of the WTO. NAFTA, CAFTA, all these trade agreements are based in the theory of communitarianism. So Americans really do need to know what the word is because it's a system that has 50 years of case law behind it. That's right, and and it also, I mean, it it manages to encompass capitalism at the same time as what we think of as socialism. So I think that's that's part of what throws people off because they they think of it, they hear maybe just communism when they hear communitarianism, and they don't know how to differentiate between the two. Right, and the theory of communism is based in the dialectical ideology of conflict between theories. And if you look at, go look at a chart by any university professor that teaches Hegel, and they will show you the process of conflict. It's called thesis, and then antithesis, and then 
synthesis. It's a three-step simple. It's a, you know, the the logic behind it is really simple, okay? It's not a, a complicated algebraic formula to achieve this. It's just you pit one group against another, and out of those two, you get one more. And then you the find third way that emerges, and, and yes, Hegel yes. saw that as kind of a staircase that it was leading up to the ideal state and, and etc. Well, let's come back to continue flushing out those topics. We're going to take another short break. Once again, talking to Nikki Rapana of the Anti-Communitarian Manifesto. Welcome back to the program, friends. Tonight we are talking to Nikki Rapana. Once again, her blog, which is called Living Outside the Dialectic, and her book, which is called 2020, Our Common Destiny, and the Anti-Communitarian Manifesto, which she co-wrote co uh, with her daughter, Nordica Frederick, are available uh, online. And, of course, I'll put the links in the show notes for tonight's episode at corporatereport.com slash radio so you can find it for yourself. And tonight we're talking about anti-communitarianism in general, and of course, in order to do that, we have to talk about communitarianism and the ways that it's manifesting in our society. And something that I think a lot of people out there are starting to put together is, for example, Agenda 21, which was birthed at the UN uh, Rio Earth Summit back in 1992, and uh, of course still on the agenda 20 years later at the recently passed Rio Plus 20 conference, uh, Nikki, let's talk a little bit about Agenda 21 and how this ties into the uh, the overarching agenda of communitarianism. Well, the um, Agenda 21 I identify as, as a communitarian plan, and the portion that it is implementing primarily is accumulation of resources. We're looking at a, a system of global governance. They don't call it global government, and they don't call it the New World Order anymore. But they do, in all their official documents, call it global governance. And it's a technocratic system. This is sort of a new term to me, but I'm going to be looking into that more. Patrick Wood's done a lot of work, and, and I can see how important it is. Um, there's different ways it's introduced by different names. Agenda 21 is the land use planning. It's the comprehensive planning. But... The Washington State Growth Management Act was passed by the Washington State Legislature in 1990. Agenda 21 was passed in 92, but in 1990, the states were already telling the uh, municipalities and the counties that they needed to write these plans. And Sustainable Seattle, which is uh, one of the was the key mover and shaker group down in Seattle when I was there was a presenter at Rio in 92, and they already had a group called Sustainable Seattle. So 92 is when they finalized a lot of the uh, details, and what they're doing is just a big catalog of everything in the world. And, I, you know, that might not have upset me that much because I kind of identified with the Greens, not philosophically, but just as a camping person, I'm a, a yurt builder that lives in the wilderness, you know, I like so I just thought I was kind of with that, you know. A lot of these things we all might have had a little bit of affinity towards or whatever, because that's the point of it. It's supposed to appeal in that little bit of you with whatever they've included in their whole idea, you know. And saving the world and the planet is a big part of it. And the uh, when you get into the other documents produced by the uh, United Nations, like the Earth Charter, 
um, for instance, which is just a wild document, what they want to do, um, and all of the leading up to uh, the Pachamama Mother Earth rights of the 11 laws of nature that they're going to be passing. And the, and the reason I, I had to study all these different things is because they're all communitarian. I haven't found anything that has dissuaded me from underst- from my, you know, comprehension level that I'm at today, which can always change because there's new information all the time. But right now, I'm convinced it's a communitarian system of global governance and that all of these plans, the Agenda uh, 21 sustainable development push, the um, all of the green building, all of the climate change stuff, anything that has to do with so- social equity, the redistribution of worth, of wealth, you know, I mean, it's all communitarian thinking behind it, and if you go to the academic level, that's where you're going to find it. It's not being presented to the people as an argument in any of the countries that they're, this is happening to them. Um, people read my work from all over the world, and I continually get stories from people that are just, um, you know, they're kind of amazing because I, I didn't go at this as an academic or a political uh, person. I went at it as what is going on and started from such a, a, you know, a neighborhood level. And that's what my neighborhood, when I asked the people in Seattle if it was Agenda 21, they all said no. Now they promote Agenda 21 openly on the Seattle, you know, websites of the council members that I spoke to in 99 who lied right to my face. And they're continuing to lie to the American people all over this country. People are standing up in, in their little, and they've never done it before. They're just like me. They're scared to death. They're so embarrassed. They don't want to, you know, make waves, but they're just upset, and they're asking, is this Agenda 21? How, you know, does my town have ICLE? And they're, and they're actually shutting it down around the country, but they still don't understand that they're only shutting down a portion of this program. And if they understand that communitarianism is the umbrella theory for the new system, then they'll look into other areas like community policing, <clears throat> the enforcement branch of the communitarian system. The international policing connections are even bigger than Agenda 21 in my book, okay, because I see that being more directly invasive of non-property owners. But I was a renter in Seattle, and I was coming under public health inspections where they wanted to know everything about us. And well, you, you do raise the specter of, of techni- technocracy, and uh, you talk about Patrick Wood, who we've had on this program, and I think that is an absolute central uh, thing for people to understand, the way that that plays into this and the way that there are people out there who, who really do want to centralize control in a manner that really would have been unthinkable in a previous era because of the technology that all of this is enabled by. But on that note, we're going to take another short break. We have a nice long segment coming in that we can really get into uh, some of these issues at depth. If you'd like to get in on tonight's program, we have the phone lines wide open, 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. Or you can tweet your questions or comments at Corbett Report, and I'll be happy to answer them on air. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back with Nikki Rapana after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Corbett Report Radio friends. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And tonight we're talking once again to Nikki Rapana, the co-author of 2020, Our Common Destiny and the Anti-Communitarian Manifesto. And she's also the author of a blog called Living Outside the Dialectic. 
And once again, I will put the links for that in the show notes for tonight's episode. And we're just in the thick of things here, talking really about the communitarian agenda and uh, some of the ways that it's creeping into our everyday lives. But I think, of course, something that a lot of people really want to, to get to the bottom of when it comes to a subject like this is, what is the answer to this communitarianism? And of course, that uh, that a title, the Anti-Communitarian Manifesto, obviously implies that there is some type of way to live outside the dialectic. There's some way to escape what's going on. And that can be very difficult to see. It's like seeing the uh, the trees for the forest, which we've been shown for so long. And when we're living in the midst of that dialectic, the thesis and the antithesis, the, uh, the, the left versus right, the uh, communism versus capitalism, when we're living in the midst of that, it's very difficult to see a way out of that dialectic. So, so, Nikki, let's start exploring some of the ideas that you have for trying to escape this and, and really find a, a different way altogether of living uh, in, in, in society, as we must, as human beings, but as, uh, not as part of this cogs in a machine that seems to be overwhelming us. Wow, that's a, that's a good one, isn't it? Um, the way a million I... million-dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> it is, because that's the one that, you know, I want. I want an answer to that, too, okay? Um, I think that, you know, by not participating in the dialectic as much as possible has been very helpful to me, okay? And by that, I mean I don't have an opinion on abortion. I don't have an opinion on religion. I don't have an opinion on... But I do talk about these things in relation to the dialectic, but I won't talk about them inside the dialectic. I won't take a side. I always make this like weird little joke and I say pick a side, any side, because that's their goal. That's what they want us to do. Jump on some bandwagon. And so if you jump off the bandwagon entirely, you know, it, then you see how much it's in your face. And I eventually got rid of my TVs, and that was over 10 years ago now, and that has helped, okay? But it also means you're not part of the culture anymore. You don't know what's going on. You haven't seen the latest show. You don't know the latest news. You don't wear the latest product. You can't name clothes by the designer that made them. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> you know, so I don't have any of those um, commonness with, with people anymore. I can't talk to them about those type of topics because I don't know anything unless I'm just listening. You know, and I do that too. I try to because I I, I know that you know what we been reduced to is talking about almost purely dialectical crap in this country. And well, so well, you're so right, and I think we can especially pinpoint that right now as we're in the midst of another election cycle between the uh, the phony candidate on the left and the phony candidate on the right. And it's always interesting to see what topics they, the media wants to focus on in this debate and want to make it about, because to me, that's very much the, the types of political football dialectical issues, which, as, as you say, I mean, we just pick a side and and get involved in that that debate, and it leads us nowhere. So it's interesting to see that, because I think that can teach us what types of things they're not talking about, and those are obviously the places that we want to be exploring. Yes, that is it. It's what they don't say. And so if they don't say it, you know, then you have to go find what they do say other places, which is what I do with my communitarian studies. Okay, I, I follow them. I, I follow... I don't read Etzioni's blog all the time because he doesn't write it himself. He has a lot of people working for him. And, you know, it's just me and my daughter in this little project here, and it always pretty much has been. So I rely on a lot of people send me things that they find 
they follow what I'm writing about and add to it. I've had great help from some people. It's just amazing, you know, how happy they are that I'm doing what I'm doing and they contribute what they can in their, um, you know, in their local areas. Like I, I will learn a lot about what's happening in Ohio from somebody in Ohio is within these stuff and, and, and local newspaper clippings that says, is this is what you're talking about, isn't it? They're doing it here. You know, those kinds of things have been just wonderful. So I think, you know, the biggest part about this trip I'm planning on taking for my book tour um, is I want to talk to all these people. I'm going to try and, and look up as many of them as I can on my little journey around America and, you know, get updates from them on what they've done. Because to tell you the truth, I don't have any answers on how people should get out of it. I just know we have to. If we don't get out of it, if we don't step back from, from being their little puppet, and this is literally what they're doing is leading our conversations. They're leading to fights between family members are over these issues that these phonies have introduced as important, and they're not. All they do is keep us busy fighting each other and not looking at what, what they're really doing with... Um, you know, the new international system of law is communitarian law. The environmental, uh, you know, organization that's going to be created by the United Nations to enforce sustainable development, climate change, and all the other new terms they're going to come up with um, is based in communitarianism. That I know for a fact I can guarantee you, and that's what 2020 Our Common Destiny is an introduction to this entire system of law that has been introduced at the local levels. I found it in Seattle, Washington, in my neighborhood plan. That's how I know about this. Not because I studied, you know, anywhere else. People think that I know a lot about international law. I'm like, no, I don't. And I only wanted to take it to the state level. I had people asking me for years in Seattle, how high does this go? And I was like, I'm not going beyond the state, okay? Because there's enough culprits between me and my neighborhood and the state that are involved, okay? There were. And a lot of them got good positions in the Obama administration. The police chief, he's the, the drugs are now, um, you know, the governor, everybody. There were, uh, the, you know, the players in Seattle were major players. Jim Gears, uh, Department of Neighborhoods, that was, he was the first. They created the Department of Neighborhoods, gave their people the jobs, and now those people are going around the world teaching other people how to build these little neighborhood communitarian collectives. And well, let's, let's flesh that out a little in some detail. Well, when you talk about those types of neighborhood programs for people who don't know what to, to be looking for in their own areas, what, what types of programs are, were, were being implemented? Okay, well, what we were under was called um, Innovative uh, Enforcement Procedures. Um, because the health and safety of the community depends on the community council or the citizens group or the community police citizens group knowing and identifying every person in the neighborhood. They said the fire people needed to know where everybody sleeps in case there was a fire. Then they also needed to know, go to asset-based community development and look up is a program that the Kretzman and McKnight wrote. They trained Obama, too, by the way. Um, they wrote a, this whole program called Mapping and Mobilizing Community Capacity. And when they're building capacity, and this word's coming out a lot now in a lot of their documents again, okay, capacity means the capacity for what the hidden talents of the people living in that area, 
accumulatively are called the community capacities. So if you have a lot of educated people in an area, then your capacity level is higher. You're going to attract a different type of international investor who's going to build a factory in your neighborhood that will employ the people there, okay? So the, your capacity interviews, there's, they're like 11 pages, and they are so detailed. It's like, can you change a baby's diaper? Are you a carpenter? Can you fix a window? Can you sew? Can you clean? Can you take care of the elderly? All those things, plus your uh, fraternal and religious organizations and affiliations. Have you ever wanted to start a business? Have you ever ran a business under the table? You know, I mean, what do they want to know? And they come to your door with a community cop. They're called community services officers. They're called different things. And, in fact, they even go to, go to the cops' website, and you'll see they have mental health officers who assess the mental health of the people in the neighborhoods. Now, they started with the bums, the drunks, the gangs, okay, in the HUD neighborhoods. But when I got involved in 99, they had moved to the middle-class neighborhoods and were doing it there. So I had to go and study HUD, the broken window theory, all that other stuff that they were using for the police enforcement of these programs. And if you look at the Anchorage 2020 plan, which we started uh, studying in 2005 when we came back to Alaska to get away from all this crap. And they were so buried in it in Anchorage, we made a whole chapter of 2020 is on the Anchorage plan specifically, where they plan for seven community centers. You'll be assigned to these centers. It's where you get your job. It's where you get your medical, okay? And that's what I think is happening with Obamacare is they got their national ID database now. And if you don't sign up, you can get fined. Period. Very perceptive. Again, it is kind of like this spider web that they're building, and of course it, it does sound so warm and fuzzy when they introduce it, but we have to look behind the way that it's being introduced to understand what the agenda is. So uh, so on that note, we do have a caller on the line. We have Lark in Texas. Lark, thank you for call, calling in tonight. Uh, good to have you here. Well, thanks, James. Um, hi, Nikki. Hi, Lark. Well, you know, you should know that uh, James uh, recently featured, uh, I think her name's Julie Beale, uh, James. That's right, from uh, GetMindSmart.com. Yeah, and you should, uh, you should know her name, uh, Nikki, because she, too, was inspired by your, your work. We've actually been in contact with Julie for a few months anyway. I, I, it's pre- been pretty recent, and I, and I didn't have access at the time. But, um, yeah, there's, there's quite a few people out there right now that have picked up on this and are going with it. And I, I love reading their work because none of them do it the way I did it. Or we did it, you know? The everyone well, is coming at this from somewhere very different and coming to the same conclusion. And it validates us in ways that you just can't even know, you know? And, you know, it's, a, I was, it's precisely the point I was going to touch upon, because I think all of us come at this from different directions. It touches all of our lives, this all-encompassing ism of which you speak called communitarianism. I know in my own case, James and, and Nikki, it was because I began study to be a copywriter back in 04, and I stumbled across your work, Nikki, somehow. And you know how it is you connect dots along the way, and all of us do it differently. Uh, I was influenced by uh, a book written in 2009, most recently, called The Road to Revolution by Ted Kaczynski, believe it or not. The Unabomber guy? That's right. No kidding. It's a, it's a very interesting story that the uh, and it was actually Alan Watt on this network, uh, cutting through the network or the matrix rather, uh, 
who uh, pointed out a, a, a German documentary film called The Net, LSD, the Unabomber, and the Internet. And it was really about the beginnings of the Internet. And there's a lot of history behind that. And uh, along the way, uh, I made contact with a man who actually coined the word software back in 1953, who uh, his name is Paul Niket. His website is N-I-Q-U-E-T-T-E. But here's my point, and I wanted to invite your comment. Uh, what Ted Kaczynski discovered when he was going to Harvard, he was a math prodigy, was that uh, people like Norbert Wiener and Stuart Brand and uh, later on people like uh, uh, Ken Kesey and uh, Timothy Leary, all of these people were working closely in association with the Central Intelligence Agency and by extension with groups like the Tavistock Institute and all the various foundations and institutes in this country to essentially social engineer the society. And what Ted Kaczynski discovered was that, frankly, we were on a road or a path by which man was eventually going to destroy himself because of the rapid pace and dissemination of technological innovation. And he felt that the only way to stop this headlong rush towards the abyss was to bring a call attention to it. And believe it or not, in this work, which you can read online for free, The Road to Revolution by Ted Kaczynski, he still to this day proclaims his innocence. And he had two separate researchers join him in that effort because, of course, the work was published from prison. But my point is that what you do, Nikki, in terms of your GERT or your uh, GERT building or your yurt building yeah. is you helped illustrate for me something that I have felt since I was a little kid, that somehow there was something dirty about this uh, innovation called the PC, the personal computer. Of course, it can be used, like all technology, language itself being a technology. It can be used for good or for ill. But what we have today is we have these forces, uh, in my view, centered in the city of London in collaboration with uh, the priest, priestly class, if you will, as well as uh, academics and uh, uh, public intellectuals that are actually working in tandem because the only ones that are really promoted through the news media, through the publishing houses and so forth, are those people who are actually going along with the agenda. There's a lot of people doing quite well by going along with this quote-unquote agenda. But what you're pointing out is some, is what I believe is a solution because I, I think there has to be a balanced mix of technological, for a technological future that combines with uh, an autonomous man. And so do you have any comment there? Well, I, I see that the, you know, I'm not in the solution yet. So what do we have to have to make um, make ourselves at least somewhat free again, okay? Because I, I mean, I know that I wasn't free all my life, but the freedom I had I really liked having, okay? And 
my home was my castle. I never had cops just walk in my house. Of course, I'm not really a criminal type, but, you know, still, the thing was, is it didn't matter what my type was. I had specific rights to my personal property. And well, I think all Americans feel that way, so and you feel very strongly do. about that. I do feel very strongly about that. I, that was the final invasion that I could not tolerate. And I'm telling you, I could have read all this stuff about the wilderness corridors and taken all the, the ranchers and, and all those terrible things, and I would have said, oh, oh, gosh, that's awful, and, and went on with my day. But when these cops showed up at my front door, no, I said, you will not come in. You will produce a valid legal warrant, and I will stand right here and get in your way. And then I got scared, you know. <laughs> I got down a little bit. I was like, okay, hold on. What do you want now? Because what they said was so, we're just cleaning up the neighborhood, they said. Well, I was raised by clean freak Germans, okay? I had already swept the actual street in front of that house because it was so filthy. It was a high school area, okay? Kids I used to live in that neighborhood. I know it. I used to live you in that neighborhood in the 80s. Well, I cleaned those streets, and I cleaned <laughs> it up. I cleaned that yard. You couldn't even see the house I moved into when I moved into it. My girlfriend was very sick living there, and I started cutting out bamboo, magnolia. I, I, as it was fun, as an Alaskan, I thought it was just awesome because it was like the jungle again, you know? So, All yeah. right, we're going to have to leave it there. We're coming up against the uh, the final break here. But, Lark, thank you so much for calling in. And uh, we will take a short break, but we will be right back with Nikki Rapana to wrap things up here on Corporate Report Radio. So stay tuned right there. Nobody can take Okay, welcome back, friends. Here we are on this Monday night edition of Corbett Report Radio, and we're in the final few minutes with Nikki Rapana, once again the author of the uh, the blog, Living Outside the Dialectic, and also a uh, combined two-in-one book, 2020, Our Common Destiny, and the Anti-Communitarian Manifesto, which she co-wrote with Nordica Friedrich. So, um, Nikki, uh, like just in the final few minutes, we've been talking about communitarianism and and some of the problems that it that it is uh, causing in our society. Are there any other points that you'd like to make in the final few minutes here or anything that you'd like to leave the listeners with for tonight? Yes. Um, number one, we've been scammed. And that's, we have to realize that. And, and I don't know how people get to that point. I know that I got to that point only after a lot of reading and disbelief, dismay, you know, tears, okay, emotions, okay, huge. This is a hugely emotionally volatile thing that we're part of, and people are ready to snap over parts of it, too. So I'm very cautious in my approach as I want to, uh, you know, to say that, you know, that this is not something that you want to, do not read all night tonight. Don't go look it up and, and spend 10 days on my website without sleeping, because that's what we do. And more than anything, it's got to be digested in little pieces. It's enormous. You don't have to understand it all at once. If you just start with the premise that I advise, which is you've been scammed, don't believe anything right now. Everything is a potentially part of the lie and will lead you into a trap. There's tons of rabbit holes waiting for you if you start going down that path, you know. So stick to your local plan. Go to the community meeting, show up, and watch, and listen, and you will 
you know, your God, your creator will tell you where to go from there. But if you don't start at the local level and, and have a tangible, file a lot of public disclosure requests, ask for the documents. You can get everything under the FOIA that's affiliated with any kind of federal funding. And then many states also have a PDA. The city of Seattle also had a municipal PDA, which meant that I could request to review and copy any document that I asked for that already existed. Okay? So, and then you have them follow the money in your community, every new NGO in your community, every partnership group, architectural firms, big part of the planning. Um, your local city police are probably community policing by now. Um, you know, there's locally. Go local. Start at the local level and stay at the local level and then read on the side and grasp the bigger picture. Give yourself time. So it sounds like we're uh, trying to build up a, a network of uh, people who are keeping an eye on their local levels here, and uh, and that will combine into something that, that will be able to resist all of these various assaults. Yes, yes, and, I'm, and that's what I'm going to be doing when I'm going on the road. Um, which hopefully I'll be out of here within the next six weeks. So I hope to see you out just there. finally, just we have uh, a minute or two left, but just finally, uh, talking about your book, 2020, Our Common Destiny and the Anti-Communitarian Manifesto, once again available from ACL Books, uh, what can people expect to find in there? Well, the part one uh, is 2020, Our Common Destiny, is the um, story of how we found the program, how we identified the laws, and a lot of um, observations that we've made about communitarianism and the different ways um, it's been implemented. There's a chapter on smart growth, the history, which is real important. Agenda 21 has its own chapter. Um, we use the Anchorage 2020 Comprehensive Bowl Plan as a sample plan at the ending chapters. And then we did include another entire chapter, a new one called uh, Ecological Debt, which is the story of the religious portion that we avoided for 10 years pretty well, but now it's in there, too. So the religion's right. in there, too. And then part two is our thesis against them. We tried to lay that out like format. Excellent. Well, I hope people will, will go and get it. Nikki Rapana, we're fresh out of time, but thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me, my, uh, James. All right. And thank you, everyone out there, for listening. I'll see you again tomorrow night.